Hi, Ceremony Circle Soul Fam, and welcome to today's episode. As always, I am your host, shaman, and best-selling author of Animal Power book and card deck, Allison Charles Story. And today we're going on a unique voyage. So unique, we'll be covering topics very rarely ever discussed, let alone taking a good deep dive on like we will today with Dr. Nisha Khanna. She is a board-certified MD who has been practicing medicine since 2005. And on top of that, she pursued her Ayurvedic education under Dr. Vasant Ladd, where she additionally studied the healing art of marma therapy and has since garnered additional disciplines of functional medicine, mind-body therapies, and energy healing into her medical toolkit. And in this potent episode, we'll cover her unique multidisciplinarian approach that bridges Eastern and Western medicine and creates powerful, customized health solutions that produce transformative results. One of those approaches I actually experienced myself with Dr. Nisha. As someone who's been deeply immersed in metaphysics and healing since I was a very young girl, it's tough to find a practice that I haven't tried at least once. But experiencing Nisha's Marma therapy was a very first for me. And we get into all those details of that experience that not only included Marma, but also frequency affirmations, sound healing, her dog visiting me from the other realms, and much more. And we'll dive into her being a double doctor, what her childhood was like, and an incredible story about her parents, along with taking you on an experiential ride with her beautiful medicinal poetry. So I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did, Soul Fam. It carries such unique codes. So I'm ready to get into it, and I hope you are too, with The Hidden Ancient Secret of Marma with Dr. Nisha Khanna. Hello. It's so good to have you back in our house. Thank you. How does it feel in here? Because the last time you were here, we didn't have any of this going on up here in the loft room. Yeah, I, I, it's absolutely amazing. I saw a picture and knew that I just wanted to be in the space. So here I am. Here you are. Um, is there a particular feeling that you're picking up on the most in here? Just curious. It feels like intention. Mm. And I, I feel like that's true of your whole space. Um, but explicitly in this room, it's just everything has order and intention. Mm-hmm. I would say that is a correct and accurate read on the ceremony loft room. Very incredibly intentional. And what I noticed just this week, I had a shaman friend over um, to support them in a clearing process. And yeah, when it was done and I was standing back more by the stairs and we were both just kind of looking at the space, I was reflecting on how this whole loft being the ceremony area, the whole thing is like a living, breathing altar, you know, like the entire space is the altar. And so it really requires you to be at and function in a very like pristine, clean energy. Like it, it requires a certain elevation of self. At least that's, that's my experience. And I think the intentionality is a big part of that. So yeah, it's good to have you back. And um, while we were meditating for that minute together before I hit record, which felt so good, I feel like there was a nice coherence going on. I was like, oh, 
felt like I could stay there all day. I was thinking of where to begin our talk. And I got taken back to Jordan and Adrian's house where we first met. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that our first meeting place? Mm -hmm. And I remember we both had leopard print on. Yeah. (laughs) Or big cat. You were the tiger. I think so. I had like a full tiger swimsuit outfit. Yes. You were the tiger. I had like a leopard jumpsuit on and we were like, hello, big cat. (laughs) Hello, big cat. Who, what is your name? And then your last name being Kana. And I, and I have been working so intentionally with the plant medicine. Technically it's a shrub, but we, you know, I still reference it as a plant medicine also named Kana. And so, yeah, we got off to a, a good start with the animal medicine and the Kana medicine and We've just stayed um, in touch and, and friends ever since. And so I think I, I would like for the first topic to get into the, the Marma. Uh, is it a Marma technique? Marma what? Marma practice? I, I usually refer to it as a Marma treatment. Marma treatment. Okay. So the soul fam that's listening to us. Nisha, very generously, I don't know if you got a download one day or if you just felt like it would be supportive or good for me, but she extended an invitation to experience this marma. And there was something about the word, which um, when we were hanging out recently at another friend's ceremony and remember we were saying marma and like, (laughs) like swiveling our hips and it like, it evokes something in me and it makes me want to move my body. And so I knew it was a yes. And so, yeah, I know you do a lot of different things, but let's start here with Marma specifically. Explain to people what it is, and then I'd like to let them know what my treatment was like. Yeah. So it's it's this amazing practice Mm -hmm. that I love to share and love to receive as well. And when I first was exposed to it in Ayurvedic school, I... I just had this affinity towards it, you know, because in school you're exposed to a lot of different things, astrology, different types of Vedic practices. And I received it from Dr. Ladd. I was one of his demo students. And so Dr. Ladd is thought to be like the father of Ayurveda in the U.S. And his energy came through the treatment. You know, it's one thing to just have someone press a point on your body, but his intentionality and his spirit and his openness of consciousness was so present and apparent in that experience for me as being the little demo student that I just had this huge resonance with it. And I wanted to carry that forward and share, share that with other people. And so whenever I'm doing a treatment, I I go back to that feeling and I go back to that integrity of the practice that I receive from him. Most people are familiar with acupuncture. So there's a lot of similarity in the East between these energy points, acupoints, marma points. There's a lot of overlap. And so these marma points are energy centers throughout the body. There's at least 108 and they're locations that are kind of high intensity points, the confluence of nerves, arteries, veins, lymph. And so a lot's happening in that area. Right. And energy's swirling and it wants to keep moving. And if it stagnates due to various conditions, so you can have physical stagnation, mental, emotional stagnation, then that point gets blocked and can actually be a little tender to the touch. Mm. And so what we're doing in the Marma practice is 
pressing on those energy points and releasing basically any stagnation so that the energy can flow again. And it's this very kind of neural experience too, because um, in Ayurveda, we have channels for the whole body. There's the elementary channel, which an easy one to kind of demo would be, you've got your mouth, it goes through your intestines, and the exit is the ileocecal valve going into the colon. So that's a channel. It's got an opening, a root, and a pathway. And marma also follows the channel, and it follows the channel of the mind. So the mind in Ayurveda is thought to be rooted in the heart and the sensory plexus of the five major senses. And its pathway is the whole body. So your mind is located across your whole body. Mm. And its opening are the marma points and the sense organs. Mm. And so you can actually shift someone's neurochemistry and their mood and their neurotransmitters by pressing on these points. So I like to think of it as a way to really change someone's mind. Wow. Let's, okay. So let's just sit for a couple seconds in what you just said, because that I think would be an unexpected thing. It was unexpected for me to hear. And I think for most, no, no matter how many spiritual practices we've done, it's like, oh, so the doctor is pressing on these different marma points and it has the ability to change our minds. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, continue. These points are access to universal consciousness. So anytime we get down or we're stuck, it's usually because we're identified with the self versus the macrocosm. Uh-huh. And so when we are able to connect via marma from the individual con- consciousness to the macro consciousness, the universal consciousness, it helps to basically get over whatever yes. it is that's keeping us stuck. And so in ancient times, they would take a almost like a voodoo doll of a, a person at cremation and press on these marma points with a stick because they knew that in that practice, they were going to symbolically release that individual spirit to connect with source. Oh, God, that is gorgeous. I love picturing that. I feel like I can see the image of that process very vividly. That is so glorious. There's just, there just seems to be something so unique that Marma just has like a different vibe to it. And I was pretty intrigued because um, even as a child, uh, when I had you know, felt like I needed to shut down my spiritual gifts for various clear reasons. Um, So it wasn't like I was, you know, as a little girl, totally on the spiritual path. It was just like all athletics based. But even with that, my dad was taking me to get acupuncture for running purposes and athletic purposes, you know, to keep my body uh, strong and clear and healthy, um, starting from a very young age, from probably like six years old. So even though I grew up in the Midwest and and all these things like I, my point is from a very, very young age, I was immersed in so many different esoteric, metaphysical, Eastern, Western healing modalities and practices. And that has been a through line for my entire life. And I hadn't, I don't think I'd ever heard of Marma and I'd certainly never had it done. So why is it 
is it just me or like, why does this feel like a little bit more of a hidden secret practice? It's so funny that you use those words, hidden secret, because when I taught a Marma workshop, I actually called it a hidden secret of Ayurveda. It's what it feels like. Why? I, I wonder. I feel like a lot of practices have kind of come from Marma, being one of the more ancient, because Ayurveda is about 4,000 years old. So I feel like, you know, things move across the globe and maybe it moved or came up at the same time as acupuncture and right. sort of shifted that way. And I, I believe in um, traditional Chinese medicine, there's a version of uh, Marma and they have a different name for it, but it's also not that commonly used. And then I believe some craniosacral practices also come from Marma. Mm. So if you remember in your treatment, some of those things I was doing with your head and turning it to the side and cupping it, those seems to have a craniosacral kind of thread moves from Ayurveda, Marma to craniosacral. Uh So there is, I feel like it shows up in some ways. And I think some people who are really amazing at giving rejuvenative facials incorporate some of these energy points because a lot of the Marma points are on the head and the face. In terms of just being able to go to a spa and book an appointment, it's not something that you can typically do. And I am not quite sure why it's so hidden, but I know that it's definitely powerful. And it would be really amazing if more people could experience it just whenever they get a treatment at a spa. When you go to India, because I've actually never been there. Is it more widely practiced and seen there or even there? Is it still just kind of more on the down low? It's also on the down low. You can't go to a facility and order a Marma treatment. Wow. But the practitioners oftentimes say you're getting an Ayurvedic oil massage, the Abhyanga. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they have an awareness of these points. So they'll spend more time massaging in a certain area or the strokes definitely go over that area. And, you know, I, I find myself whenever I do receive a treatment wanting to be like, oh yeah, yeah, you're almost there. Just, 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 you know, one little finger breath, go there and press there. But it's kind of unfortunate that more people don't practice it, um, or incorporate it into the treatments that they're already offering. Yeah. And so when you are meeting with someone, like when I arrived for my, uh, treatment, you know, we sat down in the consultation room just to get clear on where I'm at, if I have a certain intention. But in general, of all the Marma treatments you've given, are you like, oh, wow, like 60% are people that are coming to me for the same thing? Or is every person super different? And then you tune in with your expertise as a doctor and you're like, okay, so clearly if this person is having liver issues or migraines, then you know the flow, the marma flow that you need to get into. Like, how do you construct the treatment for each person? Yeah, so there are several points that are universally great for a lot of people. And so I'll usually always include those. And then most people aren't coming to me specifically asking for marma. So it's something that we'll talk about on their initial visit, if it's something I feel that they'd really benefit from, especially if there's a lot of mental stress and neurological concerns in terms of just insomnia, anxiety, those kinds of patients will really benefit from it. I've had several patients who weren't sleeping for a long time and with one treatment, they slept for days, you know, so it's, 
It, well, several days in a yeah. row. <laughs> I was picturing that. I was like, they went into Goldilocks mode. Yeah. <laughs> For four days, I slept. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, they missed work. They lost their job. The Mara just, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. So, and then if someone has a specific concern, whether it's digestive or reproductive, then we'll, I'll put more focus on those points. Right. Speaking of, so... Yeah, I hadn't really thought. Um, sometimes I like to go into ceremony and just see what spirit has in order for me or the facilitator. Um, but but when we were tuning in before we began, I was like, well, you know, certainly can't hurt since Luke and I are on the pregnancy journey. Like, let's weave that in and the rest, I'll just leave it up to you and whatever you're tuning into. And one thing I definitely, because side note for the listeners, I'm totally an open book for both Nisha and I sharing about what happened in my treatment. I'm not trying to keep any part of it hidden. And with that, I remember you saying when you got to my left ovary, what's that word for like the odor that comes out in Marma? Oh, Ama. 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 A-M-A. So what was going on there? Because you asked me, you're like, did you smell it when I got to your left ovary? I was like, no, what are you talking about? What happened there? Well, so some of that stagnation that I talked about, so in Ayurveda, anything that's not processed completely mm. becomes ama or stagnation. And that can be physical or it can be energetic. And so physically, we're meant to digest all of our nutrients and the destination of food is consciousness. So it's not building your body. That happens as a byproduct of eating but the destination of food is consciousness and the destination of every emotion. So every emotion that you go through, its ultimate evolute should be love and understanding. So anytime you've experienced any digestion that didn't go fully to consciousness or any thought wasn't completely digested and didn't become love and understanding, it creates ama or stagnation at these points. And so then when I go in and press and release that area that's been stagnant with the marma point, then sometimes an odor can be released because ama has certain qualities. It's thick, slimy, sticky, and foul-smelling. Is, is it green? Does it have a color? <laughs> For some reason I saw like a greenish color. Maybe that was just mine. Well, it's, it's thought to be kind of sticky, cloudy white. Okay. And it also has a foul odor. And so... This can show up in various ways. So in the GI tract, that could show up as things that aren't processed. And then when you actually do a panchakarma or an Ayurvedic cleanse, you can see some of that ama coming out, mm. sticky white material. Mm. Um, but then on, on a more energetic level, it can show up as odor because that's also one of its qualities. So when you got to my left ovary, God bless my left ovary. I love you. We love you. When you pressed on that point, you you got blasted with a with an ama odor. <laughs> I I think so. I um I think I also felt that it was it felt tighter. Yeah, and you know I was working on some of the reproductive points, and I can feel where there's a block or mm -hmm. where it feels like there's just more resistance. And mm. so it felt like there was more resistance. And then I believe that there also was an odor. Oh, you told me there was definitely an <laughs> well, odor. Well, I can't remember if it was that point or if it was like further up. No, I remember. Okay. Because I, I put that, um, I didn't log much because I just left myself in the days as I drove home. But I remember I made note 
because I, I wanted to be able to talk with you about it today when we did our interview. I was like left ovaries, smelly. So with that, what's interesting, and I don't think I told you this that day, but there have been a succession of rituals and things in the last, oh gosh, I want to say couple few months that I've been really called to do around some additional layers of ancestral healing and also just additional layers of readying and preparing my body for pregnancy and healthy full-term childbirth. Uh, and it's all, all, all been on left side. And I know depending upon the tradition, some traditions say that the left side represents a masculine side of the family. Others say it's the feminine. But for me, while typically when I'm working with people from the shamanic perspective, we do view the left as the feminine side. But for this portion of my life journey, the workings of my left side have been pertaining to masculine. And I had a phone call with a Taoist shaman friend of mine who's also been on Ceremony Circle, Paul Alexander. And in the Taoist tradition, the left side is masculine. And so Luke and I did a bloodletting ritual that's a, that's a Taoist ritual where we let nine drops of blood out of both of our left pinkies. There's a specific point. And we dropped our nine each drops of blood into mugwort and then did a cremation ceremony. Then just recently, um, when I was away in Florida, as you know, I did an unexpected and spontaneous journey and ceremony of a bone marrow aspiration, which then the stem cells from that marrow got injected into both of my knees, which is a whole story for another episode and another day. But I could literally tell I had a whole shamanic journey when I was face down in the medical facility on the bed and I was um, self-administering gas while they were aspirating and he aspirated from my left lower back hip, that plate area that holds a lot of the um, marrow from childhood. And as he was aspirating, I could tell the, it was the literal exact place that I could tell it needed releasing and clearing. Mm. And I went into this whole shamanic journey and I was like sobbing and clearing and cleansing and crying. And when I rolled over to lay on my back for the knee injection portion to happen, I was telling both the doctors, I'm like, I'm in a full shamanic journey right now. And they're just like, okay, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> it's ancestral rituals. And there's like, okay, you know, cause I'm like partially on the gas, but it was just, it was, it all makes total sense that it's that left ovary. There's been major deep work for me in that, in that zone the last three months. Mm. And so what else can we share about, you know, what was going on with those two affirmations remember that one was like so long yeah but it would they were so resonant how how do you factor that into the marma well that modality that you're talking about is called quantum harmonization uh -huh. and that's something newer that i've picked up i liked it you liked it marma's sort of you know something i've had around for about 10 years now so i feel like i've tried mixing in the quantum harmonization but i feel like in your treatment, what I did is I, I did the Marma and I was fully with the Marma. And then I weaved in some of the quantum harmonization at the end because I didn't, I kind of wanted to just kind of give the Marma its full reverence yes, and, and let it, let the energy flow without drawing from a different modality. Love that. 
And I've been told that when I'm doing the Marma treatment that people have told me that they sense I've got these guides that come in and help. And so I almost didn't want to interfere with all of that. Yes. And I also notice I get into a zone too. So you do. If I were to repeat words or, you know, some of the codes from the quantum harmonization, it takes me out of that. Mm-hmm. So at least with you and, and ever since I tend to just go fully into the Marma and then do some of the quantum harmonization, which is a really beautiful modality as well. And yeah. How, how did you find, I forget how you landed on those two that were right for me. I feel I, like you were doing something and you're like, oh, this is one. Like, what are you tapping into? How do you Oh know? yeah. Okay. So I have this book of these different quantum programs. Yes. And essentially I'll close my eyes and get into a very kind of heart coherent space. And then I'll just go down the list and see where I feel expansion. Mm. And essentially I set the intention ahead of time that, okay, what, what is going to be the most beneficial for Allison or whoever I'm working on or myself, you know, when I do it for myself, And, you know, one of the things, uh, statements I say is body, what do you require or body, what would be supportive and then go through that. And then where I feel expansion, that's the one that I land on. And it tends to be so spot on for everybody. It was. I had a, a friend who injured their finger. And so I did it for her and she wasn't even there. You can do it remotely. And the ones that came up for her were cellular healing and regeneration and different things that never come up for me, you know? So it's, it's pretty fun to just tune in multiple times a day. Personally, I should have told you to bring that book so we could read that one wild one out loud. The the one that I got that was like the longest run on sentence (laughs) in the history of run on sentences. There was like, I felt like there were 10 different quantum codes built into that one. I kind of remember parts of it. So it's something like dissipation and nullification of replication of RNA and DNA and Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yeah, like like 20 dot, dot, dots after that. Yeah. And I was like, but yeah, when you got done with that five minute sentence, I was like, that's exactly it. (laughs) And then there was another one was like three words or something super simple. I think it was embodiment of self-empowerment. Yeah, I think that's right. Embodiment of self-empowerment. And they both just rang so true. Speaking of the guides, I'm so glad you brought that up because remember Sadhu visited me. So Nisha has this incredible dog that I'm obsessed with. Uh, He and I have a vibe going on. I feel like we're longtime old friends. And I remember being so sad because she she texted me before the morning of my treatment and and just to feel out, like, would you be okay if Sadhu's around or would you prefer, you know? And I was like, oh, no, like, that feels good. And then when I showed up to her house for the treatment, I was like, where's the dog? And she's like, oh, I decided to take him to his doggy daycare. And I was like, so bummed because I look forward to seeing Sadhu. And so... We do the Marma, you do the quantum harmonization, harmonization, and then you go into some of the sound healing, right? That, that oh, was yeah. the closing portion mm-hmm. where you did the, the gong, which I love. I actually want to know where you got that gong from, if you don't mind sharing, because I would love to get one for up here. I'm totally a gong lady and, and the sound bowl, I believe mm-hmm. as well. So when, when I think it was during the sound healing portion, I'm pretty positive in the closing part of the treatment. Nisha was with the gong and the sound bowl. And it was then Sadhu literally came to me as 
the guides and the other realms do. There's a very, very specific way that they present to me. I can see them from a distance and then they zoom in closer to where their face and their attributes, uh, their characteristics of their face illuminate almost like a neon sign super clearly to where I know, oh, Ganesha is here or Buddha is here. And Sadhu, her dog, appeared to me and he was literally saying to me, soul to soul communication, like, I'm still here. Don't worry. She took me to doggy daycare or wherever you took them, but, but I'm here. I'm here. And it was hilarious because your dog is such an ancient, like, what does Sadhu mean? It means one of those kind of monks, the recluse, that they're sannyasi. They leave material domesticated life to go meditate in the forest. And that is so Sadhu's energy to me. And it was hilarious. We get done with the treatment. I was like, Sadhu's, we, I got to hang out with him anyways. And you're like, what? I was like, he came in. It was the only guide from the other realms that presented to me that day, which was hilarious. Well, just linking Sadhu and the quantum harmonization. So along the way, I've studied various energy healing modalities, channeled light healing and various things like that. And I would try to do them on Sadhu, you know, like just like, oh, I'm going to give you energy work. And he would reject them like he would just like get up and move away. But when the quantum harmonization came out and I gave him, he would actually sit and receive it. And so I asked my teacher about that. And she's like, well, the vibration of the quantum harmonization is high enough that it matches his. So he's willing to receive it. He's such a, yeah, an ancient master. I can't wait to see him and hug him again and thank him for showing up for me during the Marma. Um, What else? uh, Is there anything left unsaid? I don't want to switch gears too early just because it is such a hidden ancient secret treatment. Um, Is there anything else you recall from my treatment specifically that could be intriguing to bring up or anything in general? I would just say that everybody's experience varies a lot and it's very unique. And I feel like it's somewhat dependent on how open someone is to receive yes. the, the energy. I've had some patients that felt like they went to the beginning of time or they went to other dimensions or connected with deceased loved ones and found closure around something or, mm. a, you know, a, a lo- beloved relative made an appearance. And so when you create space for that individual consciousness to merge with the universal. It's the whole potential of experiences can happen. Mm -hmm. And I I would say at the very least, someone feels relaxed and energized at the same time, not like a jittery kind of energy, but just a very embodied, open energy. And so I personally love giving it because it's one of those things that you receive as you give. Yeah, You know, like I remember doing a treatment on my mom and I just have this, you know, so much love for her. And I feel like that comes through with the treatment Mm. and she was glowing afterward. And then she's like, but you're glowing too. (sighs) And I was, because it's just like, that's the power of some of these practices is you just, you, you become that vessel and you become an instrument for energy to flow. And then you receive it as you give it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really so lovely and so special. I thoroughly loved it and was 
completely open to whatever needed to enter in and, and happen during that time. And while I know you said you can do the quantum harmonics remotely, Marma, you have to be able to, to show up physically for that. And I mean, at the end, we'll let people know how to get in touch with you, but let's just let folks know now as well, you know, you're based in the Austin area. So if somebody wanted Marma, they would need to, to get either live here or come down here for that, right? Yes. I mean, so much of it is the, it's the touch, it's the energetics yeah. that it, I've tried to do it remotely by just guiding people what to do. And it's, it's not the same yeah. as receiving it. Okay. Okay. So they could just go to your website and, mm-hmm. and find it. It's nishakana.com or nishakanamd.com. Okay. We'll, we'll link it of course, as I always do in all the show notes, but and typically most patients need to kind of be a patient of my practice. Right. But Marma ended up being something that was so popular and so kind of unique that I created a special visit where you don't necessarily have to be a, a like a full-time patient Got and you could it. just come in for that service. Yeah. So speaking of being a patient, you're, remember when we were at Nita's a double doctor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> is a double doctor. Oh, I'm not doing it as good as I did that night, but, um, yeah, like <laughs> let's tell folks about that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, MD, DD, MD, DD. Yes, 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 yes. Double, <laughs> uh, double DD. Yeah. Double D. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I joke about that because parents are usually proud of their kids' accomplishments. And so my dad would introduce me sometimes to his friends as double doctor. And I would be like, stop, don't do that. Yeah. But being a physician, an MD, a medical doctor in the traditional Western path, but then also looping back and going back to the roots to Ayurveda and Eastern medicine. And so one of my great joys right now is just unifying the two, integrating them and seeing how current Western science is proving ancient concepts Mm -hmm. and having the knowledge in both those spaces to just have so much excitement about how Ayurveda was intuited by rishis, yogis in meditation. That I mean, it was definitely observed in nature and they looked at patterns, but at the same time, the story goes is that it was intuited. So before opening up a body and looking inside, they saw the workings of digestion and how it's all happening. And kind of coming from the science background first, doing the MD doctorate first, I, you know, I, I have this desire to believe, but I don't fully believe that's sort of the scientist in me. So I'll hear, okay, you should space your meals out by four to six hours. And I'll be like, okay, sounds good. I'll do it. It works for me. You know, I feel good when I do that. But then to hear now in Western functional medicine lectures and hear, if you don't space, if you frequently snack and you don't space your meals out by four to six hours, then the migrating motor complex doesn't work appropriately and you don't get normal peristalsis and it predisposes you to SIBO or a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So these ancients knew Mm. that and we got into a culture where it was a fad of 
eat six small meals and snack frequently. You know, that was something we heard. Yeah, at some that point. keeps your metabolism revving and all the stuff. And now there's a, you know, going back to you know, when you speak to a functional medicine doctor, it's no, you got to give yourself a minimum of four hours. That migrating motor complex doesn't start until it's been at least two hours. And so that's that's where I get really excited these days is having the Eastern philosophy and background to understand these Western concepts and kind of put them back together. Yeah, that's really unique. And the other unique thing that I noted here, which you can obviously share to your comfort level in, in this genre that I'm about to bring up. But the other unique third piece of that is that you also sit in different types of ceremonies and you immerse in different types of shamanic practices and other all sorts of different types of spiritual practices. And so I really feel like you embody this very unique trifecta of all three of these different spheres of healing, which certainly not many doctors have that. So I was curious to know from you, from your perspective, what do you think that you bring then to your patients that must feel a bit special or different because you hold all three of these different pieces? Like you've, you've worked. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, you know, speak for you for, if you don't share some stuff publicly, but like, you know, you tap into the unseen realms and like, you know, work with different, different spirits and guides and things. And so I would imagine your patients pick up on that. Do they ever say stuff to you like, oh, you're a really different kind of doctor? Or... Well, I think the way that it shows up for me is using that intuition and that kind of energetic sensing to build a lot of rapport with patients. And so they feel so seen and heard and understood because I'm hearing almost like... <laughs> You're actually listening. Well, I'm hearing the words that are going to be the most powerful things that they need to hear. Mm. So that's been so beautiful for me to experience the unfolding that happens in the patient's heart as they're sitting because they come in maybe somewhat guarded. Okay, this is my first appointment. What are we going to do? Like, what are you going to tell me to do? And they're getting all the physical recommendations too. Okay, you're going to take these supplements and make these changes in your lifestyle. But that's not where I think the healing is happening. The right. healing is happening in feeling witnessed and feeling so understood because what I feel guided to reflect back to them and share as they kind of share their story is like the deeper layer of understanding that maybe they haven't even arrived at because it's something that I'm intuiting or hearing to share in that experience. And so that's the really wonderful aspect of that one-to-one -one care for me is that I get to be that. I get to be a part of this like beautiful dance that's happening between intuition and then also knowing that I'm going to be able to help them feel better and heal at, on all the different levels. Yeah. I mean, just that one example right there is so different to, I would say I would, I'm going to go ahead and put a stat on it. Uh, 94% of people that go to a typical Western doctor for a checkup or because they're constipated or whatever it is, they show up like the part where you it's one of your greatest strengths and gifts of like really listening and tuning in and 
and having a full conversation, that's like a total missing piece for most people's doctor's visits. Like the doctor, the vision I have in my, most of my experiences, the doctor rushes in with their clipboard. You know, you can hear them flipping the pages outside of the door to see what they, what they're about to walk into. And then they come in with the clipboard and they're like looking down at that. They're not even looking at you. They're not even making full eye contact. They're looking down at the pages that the nurse has written for them. And then, then they're talking to you while they're looking and they're just like, oh, okay, you know, um, yeah, it sounds like this. Have you ever been on this? Have you ever tried this medication? Do you have any allergies? Okay. I think we should try. And it's just like the thing that you just described for most people is completely non-existent. Yeah. So that is really special. Well, something that I have heard before that I've kind of just espoused is you are the healing modality. And so as the physician, you become the healing modality based on how you hold your own energy and what you, what you radiate to the patient. And so I just, I love thinking about that because I, I think that the healing happens the moment that someone even just, just decides to book their appointment. Mm -hmm, yes. And then also when they enter the space, I've had some patients say that they feel better already. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, the, just at the end of the session, we have our first session is two hours, but they feel better already. And part of that is they feel heard and they also feel like, oh, now there's a plan. Whereas before I was just confused. Right. But I think also radiating and being the healing modality where it's like a heart coherence, brain level entrainment that happens when you are so present with somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're present with anything, there's just so much possibility for so much to happen. And I feel like so much of the time we're not present. Even when we're talking to someone, we're not present. But I think when you really go into that physician role, at least for me, I, I feel like the whole world goes away and I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm just there with the person. Yeah. Well, I would, I would classify that as the integrity of, of who you are and the intentionality and integrity of your work coming into actualization. Hi, beautiful soul fam. I'm popping in here to share some huge news that I know you're going to want to hear about. On Saturday, June 24th, we are having our inaugural live in-person Ceremony Circle event right here in Austin, Texas. When the name Ceremony Circle downloaded in many years ago, I knew it was for two things. One, it was to start this very podcast. And two, I knew Ceremony Circle would be a much bigger brand that provided live Ceremony Circle events, retreats, and other media projects. And here we are. Welcome to Dogon Ceremony Circle. This is a potent spiritual gathering on Saturday, June 24th, where we will be honoring the solstice and where we will be so blessed to have Dogon High Priest Naba Irita Shenmira in from West Africa to facilitate this event for us. For you dedicated Ceremony Circle listeners, you'll recall that Naba was featured in episode 101 titled Reuniting Humanity, where I shared that in my thousands of interviews that I've done, the one with Naba was the most important interview I've ever completed. Now, Naba will make a rare appearance here in Austin, 
to guide us in a spiritual and energetic cleansing and purification ceremony, along with sharing the Dogon wisdoms that were kept hidden for nearly 3,000 years. And tickets are already selling very fast, and this event will sell out, Soul Fam. So if you want to get your ticket, you can just head to the link in my Instagram bio. That is at I am Allison Charles. Allison is spelled A-L-Y-S-O-N, at I am Allison Charles. Or you can head to the website dogonwisdom.com. Just look for the event titled Dogon Ceremony Circle in Austin, Texas. And on that website, you will find all the event details, including the flow for the day, all the rituals we'll be immersing in together, etc. And remember, Soul Fam, this event is a super rare opportunity as this is Naba's first event ever in Austin. We're going to be on some really magical land here, receiving these most ancient and powerful codes, transmissions, remembrances, and blessings from the Dogon lineage in Africa. The event will sell out, so if it's speaking to you, head to at I am Allison Charles on Instagram or dogonwisdom.com to get your ticket, and we will have some special early bird pricing available only until June 1st. This event is donation-based and will go to support the Dogons and to give back to the land. I look forward, Soul Fam, to seeing you in person. How exciting is this? We're going to be taking the time we've spent together in the Ceremony Circle airwaves, and now we'll be seeing and sitting together in person right here in Austin, Texas, Saturday, June 24th for Dogon Ceremony Circle. I wanted to go over to your childhood for some reason. What was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? Did you you grow up in Texas? No, I grew up in England, in London. I don't know if I knew that. Did you tell me that before? Maybe. My memory doesn't retain much, but I don't recall knowing that about you. I I don't know that I mentioned it. Yeah. So London? Yeah, I was born in London along with my two older sisters and... Just remember being a very kind of solitary child, you know, had a good, stable family life, Um, but there are four of us. So my dad would work a lot and my mom's attention was divided naturally. So I just remember kind of making up my own games and like, (laughs) if I, I used to like pretend I could do magic. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Tell me more. Um, It usually involved turning like, you know, a stick into a Snickers bar or something. Perfect. You should bring that skill back into play. Yeah. So just just creative, making things up. I grew up in London, so it was rainy and I loved the rain and being inside and coloring. And yeah, so um, childhood was great. And is anybody still over in London? I have some aunts and uncles, but for a long time, my grandparents were there and then they passed away. So, um, so just some, some more extended family. Did you guys, did your ancestry go from India to London? Mm -hmm. Like that was a trajectory. And then, and then who came over here? How did you get over here? Yeah. So my parents moved from India to London or, or England in their teens. Oh, wow. They got together that young? They they were betrothed to each other right. at age 12. Wait. My mom was 12. Hold up. Okay. <laughs> I think this is the childhood story of my soul was wanting to get to. 
this is one of the stories. Yeah. 12 years old. But they didn't meet until they were like, I think she was 16. And then she met my dad on several dates with her two brothers in between. Right. Yeah. So they would go to the movies and her two brothers would sit in between her and my dad. Do you, so do you know if at 12 was either your dad and or your mom told by their parents, like, look, this is happening, but you won't meet until later? Or were they not told until they were 16 that that deal had happened? I think they knew. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were told that this is happening. Mm -hmm. I'm just always so fascinated. My closest friend in college and my roommate in college is Indian. And so we've had a lot of conversations around all of this and arranged marriage and just how, yeah, in, in, in Indian culture, a lot of this happens. And, you know, I, I don't want to dishonor any private conversations she and I had, but like, even in our time in our modern time, like these conversations were happening with my friend and her dad in terms of like, who's the appropriate partner for her and all of these things. And I just, for some reason, when these stories come up, I'm so fascinated by them. They're so intriguing to me, like the idea and you hear success stories all the time. Like, are your parents still together? Like they are. Wow. Your parents got technically together in some way at 12. Was their marriage successful? You would say, or are they very, I think it's probably not so common for it to be successful these days, uh-huh. but they're like this magical divine couple. Wow. And they're in India right now. And my mom had wanted to go visit a lot of these sacred sites over there. And so they're just getting so many blessings by being there out of nowhere amongst the crowd at Rishikesh. Somebody was just like, you come with me to do the arti, which is like where you light the fire and you kind of go around and it's sort of the final offering at the end of a prayer. And so he took my mom and my dad and they're just like, people would love to be the person who does that at this site. And out of nowhere, they just got selected and they're doing the arti. And so she's just getting so many blessings. So me and my siblings all kind of feel that our parents are these like saints that incarnated and they just wanted to help us little souls along on our path. Wow. What are their names? Raj and Kusum. So beautiful. Shout out to them. They're over in India right now doing that. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Wow. I'd like to see a picture of them when we're done. And you said you have two siblings? Two or? sisters, older and a younger brother. Oh, wow. Where do they all live? We're all in Texas. Okay. So I have a sister in Austin. And Are you guys close? We're... We're not not close, but we don't see each other a lot. Are you very different? I think I've always been sort of the black slash white sheep of the family. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So interesting. And so in this vein of just like your personal life and growing up, when do you recall, I mean, you were a magician when you were young, but when else in your life path do you remember just like being drawn to like spirituality or different healing ways? Hmm. Like, do you remember like wanting to get a psychic reading when you were a teenager? It, you know, just anything like that. I think that 
growing up, we were always exposed to the metaphysical as just part of our existence. Right. So like, were you guys doing certain mantras and things in the home all the time or? Well, my parents were really into astrology when we were younger. So we were getting readings from being a very, just a child. And I remember actually getting a naughty reading. Do you know what that is? I've heard of it. Yeah. It's apparently these these leaves yes. that were created, you know, ancient leaves from these ancient trees. And there's apparently a leaf for every human or every being. And it takes a specific type of person who's skilled in naughty reading to read the leaf. Yes. And the leaf has your whole life story. And so I remember getting one of those. Wow. And then there were these rituals that you do to sort of ameliorate past karmas. Wow. And so we did all that. But I think, yeah, it's sort of been imbued in my family's life from a young age. And then I was first exposed to Ayurveda when I was like 15 or 16. I wasn't sleeping in high school. And so um, my mom actually took me to see Dr. Lod, who I ended up studying with later. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. Where was he at the time? New Mexico. And so you guys came over for that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, we were in Texas when I was 10. Okay, got it. So then it was... That's so cool, though, that you saw him as a teenager and then you went back to study with him. Yeah. And I remember being in medical school. And going back for a follow-up and just seeing the students, you know, hanging around the school next to his clinic and, and just having that heart desire to did be plant a, seed? a student. And I would tell him and I would say in my office visit, say, I want to be your student. I don't want to be in medical school anymore. Mm. And he's like, no, finish your degree and then you can come. And so that's pretty much what I did. That is so fascinating. And then along with all the uniqueness and coolness that we've been chatting about. You also have written a book of poetry, which is just like another thing I didn't know when we were at Anisha's house for, what were we celebrating? What was that? It was like a holiday party. That's right. Yeah, Just a holiday gals get together. And Nisha busted out a, a book of poems and we were just like, what? And I read one aloud in a very theatrical way. I was really tuning in. I just like used her book as a divination tool and just opened to a certain poem. And then at the table I did a, yeah, a reading and it was very, it was very fun. It was something about like lion energy, I think. Yeah. yeah. If I remember Mm -hmm. correctly, can I see your book? So I asked her to bring it with her today. It's called Drops of Gold, Poems for the Modern Day Enlightened Woman by Nisha Khanna, MD. And you can get it on Amazon. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it's like it's one of those cool books that it's just like it's slim it's it's small and it's just cool to to just have around in your home I just opened to the poem called privacy (laughs) do you remember that one (laughs) interesting um let me read it why not and then I'll have you read one does that sound fair okay so privacy what's the point of privacy even in privacy there's a sharing of separation. And this isn't part of the poem. I'm actually like tuning into that line. That's interesting. I've literally never thought of privacy in that way. I'm going to start again and read it again because it feels so powerful. What's the point of privacy? Even in privacy, there's a sharing of separation. 
We spend time alone only to realize that which we seek belongs to everyone everywhere. What are you hiding? All that's worth giving is shared. Maybe he who requests solitude is really just crying for distance from himself. Does it help? For a while. But don't forget, the greatest gift you can give yourself is the giving of your full attention to anything, to anyone, including yourself, in full communion with all that is alive. So good. Really, truly. I feel like that was the perfect one for me to land on. Your turn. (laughs) (laughs) So the story about this book is, I was at Esalen. Right. And I was at this poetry and nature retreat, and I decided to do it in silence, and semi-silence because I could still write. And so not talking is what opened up this poetry gift where I hadn't really written poems before. And then I just started writing and couldn't stop. And they would come to me when I was just about to sleep or anything like that. And I would drop them in my phone. And then it lasted for about two months where the faucet was on. Wow. And I just kept writing. And it was such a beautiful process of just going through that. And then I put them into a book a few months later. So that's the story behind this book. It's so Fun. Yeah, it's interesting, Luke. My husband is working on a new creative venture. And once it got clear that he was doing this, the floodgates just opened and like the words and the sayings and the things meant for this new creative project that he'll be birthing sometime soon. It happened. And like, yeah, well, sometimes he'll just be drifting off to sleep or we'll be driving the car and like he'll get like. 30 things sent to him, like 30 different sayings. And then he tries to log them as fast as he can. But it's so cool when stuff like that opens up. Yeah. I'll read this one. It's the first one. Great. Love wanted to feel. So it multiplied. It diversified. Love wanted to play. So it put on a mask. Love wanted to learn. So it went to school. Love started to forget. So I suffered to remember. Love is what's left when tomorrow is forgotten. For love created me in love and for love to remember from whom I came so that I know to whom I'm going. (laughs) They're so good. That was a mic dropper. Wow. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Gosh, well, our time has traversed quite quickly. I love all the different areas that we got into. And so I will let you speak to anything that might be percolating up inside of you along our conversation where you're like, oh, I definitely, before we wrap, I want to say this, give you that opportunity now, or we can just go into your closing ceremony practice, whichever you prefer. Well, I think just the final thing is I'm excited to start working on my book again in the next month. And it's an integration between Eastern and Western medicine 
And I've been so inspired by all my friends' books coming out Mm. and seeing them birth those into reality that I wrote this book maybe two years ago and have just sort of put it on the shelf. Right. And so I want to bring that forward next and work on that this year. Well, thank you for speaking that out loud and into existence more because, yeah, you are surrounded by powerhouse women popping books out left and right. You've got my animal power book and deck in your home. Our girl Nita just had, wow, what a, what a launch to witness with her book. That sucked. Now what? We've got Vasavi's book coming out. I forget the title of her. Say it out loud. Mm -hmm. Say it out loud. Um, So yeah, you're, you're up. And so what is your vision in terms of like, what are the next steps in order for this book to get out? I, I really think it's just editing it and then shopping it around. Yeah, or working with maybe a hybrid publishing. Okay. Something like that. Okay. And do you know who you want to edit it? I'm not sure, but I've been doing the editing up to now, but it would definitely be helpful to have someone else says eyes on it. But I think I'm a good editor in terms of writing, but I think it'd be helpful to have someone else look at it too. Okay. So that's the next step then? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to bring that up for you and check on you on if you found that person or how you're going to find them. And then, yeah, stay tuned for when Nisha's book is released into the world. Yeah. I think that'll carry a lot of unique teachings and, and thoughts. So that sounds beautiful. All right. Well, for those who were intrigued by Marma, we're going to close with the Marma practice, right? Mm -hmm. Cool. I'm ready. I'll let you take it from here and give the instructions. Of course, for you regular listeners, you've already know the drill. If you're driving, don't do this while you're driving. Press pause and get back into it when you get home. But if you're chilling, then away we go. Okay, great. So I'd like to share with you some Marma points and I'll guide you so that you don't necessarily have to be watching this. And the few points that I'm going to share with you are powerful, and they're also really easy to remember because they're on the midline of your head. So Mm. you just go down the midline. Perfect. And we're going to start with the third eye point, and you can use any finger that you feel called to use, but oftentimes I'll use my index or thumb. And so the third eye point, if we all just want to begin together, is one finger breath above the eyebrow junction. So just go ahead and press that spot. And you typically want to hold each point for at least a minute. Some points you just go over for a short amount of time, but a minute is a good average amount of time. And do you intuit the amount of pressure that, that you intuit feels right for today? I typically do. I find that most people respond to heavier pressure better, Mm -hmm. but some people who are more sensitive really just prefer that a very light touch. Okay. And so I'll be quiet for a few seconds while you just begin to really experience and feel the energy.
So that's about a minute that we've been holding this point. So we're going to migrate up now to the hairline. So you just go straight up where your hairline meets your forehead. And the third eye point was pretty self-explanatory, but I'll just give a few little pearls around this point. This is a really interesting point, Kapala, and that essentially means forehead. And what I like about this point is it helps you release past memories. And so whenever I press this point, I'm thinking about helping people release the past. And you may notice if you're watching that I'm starting to move my finger in a slight circular motion. And that's just what I felt called to do. So you can move it in either uh, counterclockwise or clockwise motion, whichever feels more appropriate. When you go counterclockwise, you're helping to reduce pitta. And when you go clockwise, you're helping to reduce kapha. And when you go longitudinally or side to side, that helps to relieve vata. Hmm. And you may notice that some of these points are tender. And so if they're tender, that means that there's some ama that needs to be released. However, if they're not tender, you're still receiving the benefit of your attention on this point. And now we're going to walk up the head, over the scalp, to that first depression that you feel. This is the anterior fontanelle, a point on a baby's head that's mm. soft. Yeah, I feel it. And that point's actually a little tender for me. So this is called Brahmarandra. And all of these points, like I mentioned, on the midline of the face are pretty important in terms of releasing emotions, helping with various physical ailments, headaches, insomnia, anxiety, and again, sort of intuit what feels right to you. Maybe you're, again, going in a circular motion or back and forth or just holding steady. begin to find that your mind is just emptying. Now you're going to just walk up two finger points, two finger breaths from that point. And that is the crown of all the marmas. It's Adipati. And this one is the most important marma point. Mm. Can you say the name again? Adipati. Adipati. And if you're not sure you're in the right place, what you would do is imagine a line at the tips of your ears and where it would join mm. on the center of your head. Or sometimes you can take your palm and where your big finger would hit your scalp. That's the point. And again, sometimes it's tender, sometimes it's a depression. Mine's tenderoni. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Feels good though.
this is something you can do when you're watching TV, when you're just relaxing. Uh, anytime you find yourself like a little bored. And what are a couple of the benefits? It can just help to clear your mind or... Yeah, it, it helps relax you, clear your mind. For me, when I do this practice on my own, I feel like I just feel bliss. Mm. I feel that otherworldly connection sort of open up in a big way. Yeah. It's beautiful. And then we have a couple more points left on the face now. So you can use your other hand because that hand might be tired. And there's a point, it's called Oshta. And it's, if you were to go a third of the way down between this gap between the nose and the mouth, a third away down from the nose, there's a little depression and you can feel around for where maybe you feel a magnetism where your fingertip wants to go. And this is a really powerful point for energizing your body and kind of awakening your consciousness. So if you feel dull, you can press this point and it, you just get like a instant sort of boost. Okay, we'll move now to our last point, if you feel ready to move. Yeah, I got really deep into that one. Uh, which is this little dent that we have between our chin and our bottom lip. Uh, this is called Hanu. Hanu. And it's kind of a cute name for like a pet or something. <laughs> not... Well, it means jaw. Uh-huh. And that's where Hanuman comes from oh, is like the, um, he was known for his big jaw <laughs> oh wow i never knew that i knew and sometimes i like to press this point while i'm pressing other points because the other hand's free so you can kind of walk up and down the head and press whichever points you like or go back to oshta with the other hand and or just just hold pressure at Hanu. What's the benefit of this point? Similar to the other points I've described, but the added benefit of uh, releasing any jaw tension. Uh. And when, during your treatment, I actually hold this point where I take my other two pincer fingers and walk along the jaw, and that helps to for the release tension. I remember that. I like that. Marma. And so that's the last point, but I want to end with just actually pressing on the heart point, which is if you go along your sternum and walk down where you feel a depression, that's the, the heart marma. And then let's close with one, hand, one fingertip on that and 
the other on the third eye Mm. and, you know, just to awaken a heart-based intuition. Mm -hmm. you feel complete with that, you can just kind of rest with your eyes closed and palms up for a few seconds to just see how you may feel different from when we started. Gosh, meditating together is is creates a strong feel. Do you feel it too? Mm-hmm. Man, we drop in like real fast and I forgot together. we were gonna podcast yeah. for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I know I had to like can make my mouth open to talk. I was just like I, I was fighting. I was like, no, just stay here in silence. And I was like, you're on a podcast, you're hosting the podcast. Yeah, I felt that same thing. That's hilarious. What a perfect note to end on that we forgot we were doing this show. Um, okay, great. Well. Wow. Thank you. So such a beautiful voyage. And I'm glad I got to know a little bit about your parents and family's story too. And yeah, everyone can find you on your website. Is that the the best place to go? NishaKanaMD.com, which we'll put the correct spelling for, but I guess you could spell it out for them now in case somebody's like, I need to get to the keyboard right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> N-I-S-H-A. So N like Nancy, N-I-S-H-A, Kana. K-H-A-N-N-A, no spaces, md.com. Okay. And Instagram, what's your handle? It's the same. It's at MD. Okay, perfect. And anything else? Like, do you have any um, active courses that you're offering or? I have some self-paced courses on gut healing, on learning more about Ayurvedic cleansing and Ayurvedic self-care rituals. And what about your goodies and treats? So I have a brand called Tantric Kitchen, and I make Ayurvedic-inspired chocolates. And those sell at a couple juice bars in Austin. So Raw Republic and Alchemy Juice carries them. So yummy, so tasty. Uh, yeah, big fan. So good. You are so multifaceted. You are a poet. <laughs> you are a chef. You are a double, double DD. <laughs> You are um, a DJ. I mean, we didn't even get into that. That was on my list, the poetry book and DJing with two exclamation points. Yeah, like I've been to a couple gatherings where Nisha has been on on the turntables and yeah, it's cool. So thanks for being you and bringing all your gifts to the world. You're welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me. I will say I have a sound healing track on Spotify in case anyone wants to check out some of the vocals that I typically will share in the Marma. Great. How, what's the name of it or how do they find it there? It's it's Avaz, A-V-A-A-Z. A-V-A-A-Z, Avaz. Cool. It means voice. Oh, nice. Learned that new thing today too. All right, so fam, it has been a wonderful, fantastical voyage. Cookie, 
Cookie's closing out the ceremony with us. Sweet Pea. We'll have to get her a little sweet treat for the Sweet Pea. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for sitting with us and we will sit together again next time. Bye-bye. Woo-wee! What a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Allison Charles. So it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show, and I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all. If you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.